Welcome to Great Oaks. My name is Pastor Jake, uh, the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. I'm so excited that you are joining us online today. Uh, we will be meeting like this online for the foreseeable future here as we go through the COVID-19 situation. But I want you to know that um, I am waiting with eager anticipation for the day when we get to gather again. Um, that's the way God has made us to gather together. So I want you to be waiting for that and preparing for that and thinking and praying towards that. So be here on that Sunday. Let's make it big. It's going to be a fun celebration when we get to gather together. But I am happy and thankful uh, that when the ideal is lacking, when we face situations where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. And today uh, we get to enjoy God's grace through uh, technology. And so thankful for that. Um, I'm going to unpack the word of God with you and for you today. If you have your Bible, you can head over to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we will be. We'll also stop in Hebrews and Ephesians if you want to head there. But 1 Peter chapter 5 will be your best bet. The church, church community, Christian community, that's, that's what we're talking about in this series that we are in. Um, and so... We're talking about this idea that we need each other, that we um, are to be doing life together with one another. We're to be gathering together and carrying one another's burdens, serving God together. So we're in week three of this series we're calling Awkward. If you've missed any of those weeks, the last two weeks, make sure you go online and, and watch those messages. Uh, I know that you have a lot of time right now, so no excuse. Get those as soon as you can so you can get caught up. But we're calling this series awkward because it is awkward at times, right? Christian community is awkward. You guys, you prove that every normal Sunday when we gather together in this building, you prove that by sitting as far away from each other as you possibly can, right? You sit at the back, you sit at the edge of the aisles or the edge of the rows, I should say. One of you sits on one edge and then another couple or a family or an individual sits on the other edge and you hope to God that nobody sits in between you. And that was pre-COVID, all right? That was pre-corona. Like we were doing social distancing at Great Oaks Community Church way before anybody else was doing social distancing. Why is that the case at most churches on Sunday mornings? It's because, it's because this thing is awkward. It's uncomfortable. There's a book by that title, Uncomfortable, that we've been using and referencing during this series. Uh, it's by a guy named Brett McCracken. And I would love for you to get this book on Amazon and read it this week. You've got some extra time. Read this book this week with a friend or a spouse or a family member and you'll be blessed by it. But I'm going to give six of these out. And so here's how you can get a free book if you want one. Just take a picture of you or your family joining us online in your living room or in, at your dining room table, wherever you are. Post that on Facebook or Instagram. And I'm going to give six of these out to the six most creative or funniest pictures of people joining online with their family. And so that's how you get this. Don't post that in the feed here in comments. Don't post it in a group. Post it on your own Facebook page or Instagram. Tag the church and we'll send you one of these books uh, this week. Most creative or funniest. And so that, that'll be fun. But... Christian community uh, can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. So let me make one point right out of the gate here. Your comfort zone 
is not God's plan for your life. Your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. So when you feel that discomfort, when you feel that difficulty and that awkwardness, that's not a reason to stop. That's a reason to keep going because God's calling you to something greater. He's doing something. He's stretching you, growing you, using you. Nothing worthwhile will be obtained apart from difficulty. Anything that's worthwhile will be difficult to obtain. You were created for community. We need each other. We need connection and relationship, and it's worth it. It's, it's worth the discomfort and the awkwardness. It's, it's worth the mess like we talked about last week. Your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. So you were, you were created and born with this need for connection and community, but you were also created or born with something else. Um, I've had the joy of getting to parent three different kids uh, through that two-year-old or three-year-old stage uh, phase of life. And uh, so far, they've all survived. So we're three for three uh, so far, which is good. Uh, who knows? We may have another one. God may bring another kid to our lives and to our family before too long. But so far, we've done three. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I used to judge parents so hardcore. Like before, before one of my kids, before them, I won't tell you who it is. I won't say his name. Ah, messed that up. Before my second kid came along, I used to, I knew so much about parenting. I would judge you. I mean, in my heart, like I wouldn't say it out loud, but we'd be at the restaurant and we'd see you with your unruly kid across the restaurant, just that two-year-old, three-year-old screaming, throwing food, you know, throwing a fit. And, and you, you saying over and over and over, one more time, if you do that one more time, I'm going to take away this. What, you say that like 10 times? Then finally, when you've had enough and the whole restaurant has had enough, you stand up and you grab that two-year-old and they go limp like they don't have any bones in their body. So you're carrying this like wet noodle on the way out. I was judging you. I was thinking, man, my daughter doesn't do that. My, I don't let my two-year-old daughter, I didn't let her act like that in a restaurant. But then Joshua came along and dear God, everything changed. He's mellowed out a lot now that he's six years old. But when he was two or three years old, man, I mean, two and three-year-olds, they're like, they're like tiny little crazy people hopped up on crack cocaine. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. They're scary. They're tiny. They always got stuff all over them. Like they just survived a fight or a night in the jungle. They, they don't got no teeth. They're like wandering around, falling over like they're, they're on something. And they lie. Two and three-year-olds, they will lie to you. They lie every day. They are liars. And they're gross, too. They got crackers shoved up, shoved up their nose. They got snot coming out. They're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. And two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they will not do what you say. They don't want to do what you want them to do. They think they know what's best for them. And so whatever that thing is, whatever they think will bring them joy, they run after that thing with reckless abandon. 
And so they, they don't want to listen to you. And, and so you'll be across the room and they'll be kind of getting into the thing of cookies, you know. They've climbed up on the counter and they're getting into it. And you see them and you go, hey, no sir, no ma'am. You don't, you already had a cookie. You put that cookie back. And two or three-year-olds, man, they will look you in the eye and they will do, you see them doing the two-year-old, you know, calculations, little two-year-old mathematician and they decide it's worth it. And they grab that cookie, get down from the counter, and take off running. And they eat it as fast as they can. Shove it down their throat as fast as they can. And they always get it down before you get to them, right? When you're playing in the yard, you tell your two or three, or listen, traffic is the enemy of two and three-year-olds. Don't play in the street. Don't run towards the street. Don't go to the street. The cars are out there. And you say, man, you'll get hurt. And you'll, mommy and daddy will be sad. And, and don't go out there. But but two and three-year-olds, they think cars are cool. They think they'll bring them joy. And so it never fails. You sit down and every few minutes you look up and you see that two or three-year-old sprinting towards the street. You got to jump out of your chair, time the angle right, and grab them and save their little ungrateful lives, right? Don't you, don't you touch the stove. Don't you run next to the pool. Don't you put that crayon in the electrical outlet. Don't do it. Don't you hit your sister. Don't run through the house like it's an open field or you're going to get hurt. Don't say that word again. I don't care if grandpa does say it. <laughs> Sometimes you're trying to teach them right from wrong. But a lot of times you're just trying to keep them alive. You're just trying to keep the little crackheads, I mean, angels alive. Right? And it's not just two and three-year-olds. Like teenagers, they don't want to listen to mom and dad. They, they want what they want. They think they know what will bring them joy. They think they know better when they know almost nothing. They know almost nothing. You, you were created and you, you were born with this need for community. But you were also born, every single one of us, was born as a rebel, pushing against any authority in our lives, the ones that God has placed in our lives to guide us and to love us. And that's a problem because when the Bible talks about Christian community and church community, it also talks about this very biblical idea, this principle of authority. When the Bible talks about the church, it doesn't present it as this egalitarian, utopian society. It doesn't present it as this democratic body where everybody gets a vote and we make decisions on majority rule. That's not, that's not in the Bible. God has placed people of authority in your life, at home, at work, in the government, and, and in church. People of authority have been placed in your life for your good. But we tend to rebel against those. We need community, and yet we rebel against authority. Authority is a part of community, and it's, that makes it awkward. makes it uncomfortable. That's why so many of us just stay away from Christian community. It just, we don't want to deal with it. I mean, our, our culture, our society is allergic to authority. Isn't it? I mean, we don't like it. We don't want it. It makes us sick. And I get it. 
It's because authority figure after authority figure, person after person that we respected has let us down. They've done horrendous things, gotten caught up in moral failures and lies. From Bill Cosby to Lance Armstrong to the latest church leader who has kept or who has gotten caught in some moral failure. This church leader whose books we loved and sermons we loved. Now we can't trust them. Political leader after political leader falling like fly, dropping like flies in scandal after scandal. We have, in the end, because leaders have let us down, we've rejected leadership. Because authorities have let us down, we've rejected authority altogether. But that's just, that's just half the problem, right? I mean, we reject authority because authorities have let us down, but we, we also reject authority because we are programmed to do so. We're programmed for it. I mean, our consumeristic, have-it-your-way society has us thinking that we are the center of the universe. Or more correctly, more accurately, our comfort, our choice, our wants are the center of the universe. Another way to say this is that we are a society of two-year-olds. Ruled by our base desire to choose for ourselves. God forbid we ever relinquish any control to anyone. Whether it comes to our genes or our gender. We can't imagine the idea. I mean, the, the idea that someone else would make that choice for us is unthinkable, untenable, awkward. I mean, just get into a conversation with somebody about what the Bible teaches it, in regards to submission to authority. Just talk to somebody about that. Inevitably, the conversation will be derailed and rerouted to what leadership should be, how leaders should act, and how leaders have let us down, and how it's impossible to follow leaders who aren't perfect. And Hitler will be brought up. The latest church leader that's had a moral failure will be brought up. Anything. Anything to get the focus off of what God has called us to do as we are called to submit to authority. So I want to talk to you today about authority in the church. I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about authority. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to talk about four building blocks of authority in Christian community. And we'll do this from the top down so that each one that we talk about is dependent on the one under them, the next one. It can't exist without the one under it. The first one I want to talk to you about today is this idea of the authority in church leaders. The authority in church leaders. When the Bible talks about church leaders, it uses Three main words, overseer, elder, and pastor. These are all the same people. They're just, it's, these three words are just giving us an idea of what they're supposed to be doing and the aspects of that role and that function. And so as overseers, they're supposed to exercise oversight, make decisions, and be held responsible for those decisions and for the church at large. As elders, they're supposed to be mature believers in Christ. 
And as pastors, they're supposed to be shepherds of the flock, leading and feeding the sheep, the flock of God. Overseers, elders, and pastors. But let me, let me be really clear here. Where you have a church in the New Testament, you have church leaders. So in Acts 14, we find the Apostle Paul and his crew going from church to church to church, visiting all these churches. And what are they doing? They're appointing church leaders, overseers, pastors, and elders. And they have a specific job. Their job, their role is to exercise the authority that God has given, Christ has given the local church. And so it's not an advisory role. It's only, it's, it's a, they have real authority, exercising the authority God has given the local church in pushing back the darkness and shining his light in the world. Let me show you what I mean in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the Apostle Peter is writing church leaders here, and We've got all three words that show up in this passage. We've got overseer, elder, and pastor or shepherd showing up in this one, pa in this one passage. But when we talk about church leadership and the authority in church leaders within the local church, a lot of people, what they'll say immediately is, well, well, Jesus is part of the church. Jesus is in charge of the church. Like he's in charge. He's the head. Jesus is in charge. It's like, duh. We, okay, yeah, Jesus, duh, Jesus is absolutely in charge. But that doesn't change the fact that he appoints leaders and gives his authority to others within the local church. Because look at what the Apostle Peter says next in verse 4. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief Shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is in charge. But that doesn't mean that there's no authority in church leaders. In fact, it means the opposite, right? That if Jesus is the chief shepherd and he's in charge and he has made these, given the church these other under shepherds or vice shepherds, then we would do well to listen to them and to be subject to their authority because that authority comes from Jesus Christ, that authority comes from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. He starts now, he shifts from talking to those who are leading the church to those who are being led uh, by leaders in the church. So he shifts gears a little bit here uh, in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humble yourselves and be subject. If you don't, you're acting in pride. And the Apostle Peter reminds us that God actively opposes the proud. 
He actively opposes those who are proud. And, and so when he says younger here, I just want to be clear. He's not talking about young in age or even young in faith. When he says younger, it's just the opposite of elder. So he's saying, you non-elders, you non-overseers, you ones who aren't appointed in this function and in this role, be subject to those who are. But maybe you disagree with that. Maybe you're like, eh, I think I'm, I'm not younger anymore, so I don't really have to. This doesn't apply to me. You've drawn that line wherever you've drawn it at 35 or 45 or 85, and you're saying, I'm, I'm older now. I don't have to actually follow this verse. If that's you, then... Just check out Hebrews 13, verse 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give, will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. So note, no age qualification here, right? That, so that excuse won't work with Hebrews 13, 17. God has appointed leaders in his church to exercise authority, and we are to listen to them and be subject to them, and that's just the way it is, and it's for our good, but we'll get that in, to that in just a moment. In, in the church, a lot of times church leaders and pastors, they shy away from this topic altogether. They don't, they don't talk about authority in the local church. They don't talk about church discipline. Uh, they just shy away from it. And I get it, man. I, I know why they don't do that. It's because it's awkward. It's painfully awkward to talk about this stuff. And that might make you happy. That might make you feel comfortable to avoid the awkwardness of teachings on church discipline and submission to authority. But it's a shame. It's a shame because the Bible talks about it a lot. Matthew 18, Galatians 6, Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, Titus 3. All of these are all talking about this and many, many more. So it may make you feel comfortable. It may make you feel better and happy that we don't talk about this, but your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. Let's move on to the next building block here. If you, you, you won't accept the building block or the authority of church leaders unless you accept the authority of what comes under it. So building blocks of authority in the Christian community, four of them. Here's the second one. You have to accept this before you can accept the building block of church leaders. And that is the authority of the church community. The authority of the church community. So there is authority in leaders and there is authority in the church community at large. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5. Back to 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 8. There's authority in this church community as at large. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour 
Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So what Peter is saying here is to be careful, right? He, he says, watch out. He goes, watch out because the devil is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around. He wants to eat you. The devil wants to eat you. You need to resist. You need to get prepared. You need to stand firm in your faith. He's going, this is serious. And isn't that what the, the, the apostle Peter says? He's trying to wake us up to the seriousness of this. So it's not, oh, well, I, I raised my hand when I was a kid and I got baptized. I grew up in church, I'm, so I'm good. Or I'm, I'm strong. I don't need any help. I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need church community. No. You need church community. If you're going to resist the devil that's a lion trying to eat you, you need help. You can't do this alone. And that's why the apostle Peter in this passage says, hey, you can do this because of this brotherhood that you're involved in. Because you're not alone. The way that you do this is by knowing that you are not alone. You've got this larger church community that will help you resist the devil and keep you from being eaten alive. Listen, the devil, the devil's trying to trick you. The devil wants to isolate you. The devil, the devil wants to deceive you. That's his game. That's what he does. He's the deceiver. He wants to deceive you. You know what the antidote to deception is? It's community. The antidote to deception is authentic community. That's why there's authority in church community at large. Because you need help in resisting the devil and standing firm against what he is trying to do to you. Community is the answer. The church community is the answer. That's why in Hebrews 13, this larger passage on church, on authority in the church and community in the church and the way the church should work, right in the middle of this whole thing, the writer of Hebrews says, don't be carried away or led astray by strange and diverse teachings. What he's saying is, is that false teaching is everywhere. False teaching is happening all the time. It's coming against us. The devil is trying to deceive us. And you need the church community at large to help you resist that and stand firm in your faith. So here's how this works in a practical sense. Whatever you're thinking, whatever is this new idea that you've heard or you're reading through the scriptures and you, you're like, wow, that's interesting. I think it means this. Or, or you're heading in a new direction. Or whatever you're thinking... You just say that out loud to your life group. You just say it out loud to your life group. And when the church community answers back with, uh, not quite. <laughs> you know what? You should read this. You should study this. You should pray about that. You should be careful over here. When the church community answers back in that way, you submit to their authority and you count it as the grace of God in your life. The brotherhood of the saints, the family of God, helping you to stand firm in your faith and resist the devil who is like a lion seeking to eat you. You count it as God's grace. This is where 
Proverbs 27 comes in. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. Is it awkward to say that out loud, to ask for help, to handle it when somebody kind of corrects you gently or not so gently? Awkward? Maybe. Uncomfortable? Probably. But your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. Let's look at the next building block here. Four building blocks of authority in the Christian community. You won't accept the authority of church leaders until you accept the authority of the church community. And you won't accept the authority of either of those until you accept the authority of what's directly under that. The next block that we're going to talk about is the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Scripture contains authority. So let me be very clear. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. We believe that God's word not only contains some truth, but it contains truth itself. We base our lives on that. We base our decisions on that. We base our beliefs on that. What we're going to do, which direction we're going to go, what we care about and what we don't care about, we base that on the truth of Scripture. We believe it contains absolute truth. And that goes for authority, but it goes for everything else. Like what is sin? What does the Bible say? Where is salvation found? What does the Bible say? Is divorce bad? Is homosexuality bad? Is sex outside of marriage bad? Is calling somebody I don't agree with or they don't agree with me, calling them an idiot on Facebook bad? Is that, is that bad? What, what does the Bible say? Should I tithe? Should I give to the poor? What does the Bible say? How should I parent? How should I do this marriage thing? How should I lead my home? What should I do with my time and my schedule? What, what does the Bible say? The, the answer is always the same. What does the Bible say? And it's no different with authority. We believe that the Bible, the scriptures, carry this immense amount of authority. That they are absolute truth. Let me show you one scripture about this, although I could show you many. Just flip one page over here from 1 Peter chapter 5 to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 16. Here's what it says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Of his majesty. So Peter's just saying, I didn't make this up. And me, as Pastor Jake, I'm saying to you, I didn't make this up. All right. Look at verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, knowing this first of all. That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So no prophecy, no piece of scripture was given by the will of God or the interpretation or by the will of man or the interpretation of God it all, or the interpretation of man. It all comes through the will of God by the Holy Spirit. So you would, you would do well to pay attention to it. And listen, I understand. I get it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Standing for the authority of Scripture, standing firm in the authority of Scripture in our culture, believing that, that there is an absolute truth, much less that the absolute truth is contained in the Scriptures. That's awkward. That's uncomfortable because our culture hates absolute truth. Because if absolute truth is real, then that means we all have to change our lives. We have to change our behavior and our beliefs to line up with that absolute truth. That means that there's a predetermined right and a predetermined wrong. And our culture hates that. It's, it's uncomfortable standing up for the authority of Scripture, living as if the Bible is true and truth itself. But your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. In fact, your comfort and whether it's convenient or not, that doesn't even factor in, does it? Let's look at the last, the last one here, the last block that I want to talk to you about. Building blocks of authority in Christian community. Um, there's authority in church leaders, but you won't accept that if you don't first accept the authority that's in church community. And you won't accept any of that if you don't accept the authority of Scripture. Let me give you now the most foundational piece here when it comes to a biblical understanding of authority in Christian community. This is the biggest one, and it's the one that all of the other ones are founded upon. Without it, everything else falls apart. And so that is the authority of Christ himself, the authority of Christ. If you don't believe in, if you don't live your life by the authority of Jesus Christ, then there's no way that you'll accept the authority of Scripture, the authority of the church community, or the authority of church leaders. It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord. It's another thing to live as if your will is submitted to his will. Those are two different things. Let me show you one more passage of scripture in Ephesians. Flip over, over to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 20. It says this, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. There's, there's, authority, there's authority in church leaders 
But you won't ex accept that until you accept all the way down to the bottom, the foundational piece, the authority of Christ himself. Jesus Christ is far above all rule and all authority. When it comes to biblical authority in the Christian community, his is the foundation. His is the beginning. His is where every other piece of authority flows from. You have to accept the authority of Christ himself, not only as Savior, but as Lord and leader of your life. Life. Because what a lot of us do is we say that we follow Jesus. We say we love Jesus, like Jesus, that we are his, that, that we're Christians or whatever, but we don't do what he says. We don't actually do what Jesus says. So he's not Lord and leader of our lives. Instead, we serve this pick and choose Jesus. This Jesus of our own, our own making that is far from the Jesus of the Bible. And when you begin to pick and choose which version of Jesus you're going to serve, which commands of him that you're going to act upon, which, which truths you're going to accept and agree with or, or disagree with, when you begin to do that, you're no longer serving Jesus. You're just serving an idealized version of yourself. You're serving you. Your authority is you, not Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. If, if your Jesus keeps you in your comfort zone, then he's not the Jesus of the Bible. If your Jesus always agrees with you, then he's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible, he speaks truth to the lies we often believe, and that's uncomfortable. He calls us out of the crowd of culture, and that is uncomfortable. The Jesus of the Bible, he calls us to greater sacrifice and greater self-denial and greater suffering for his namesake, and that is uncomfortable. The, the Jesus of the Bible, he calls us to submit to church leaders, imperfect church leaders, imperfect church community. He, he calls us to submit to the absolute truth and authority of the Bible, and that is uncomfortable in a culture that hates absolute truth. If your Jesus keeps you in your comfort zone, he's not the Jesus of the Bible. Listen, submission Submission is not easy agreement. Submission is following Christ, the scriptures, the church community, the church leaders, even when you disagree, even when it hurts, even when you don't fully understand, even when it's difficult. Listen, beloved, what I'm about to tell you, if you'll believe it and live by it, it will it will change how you think about this, and it will, it will save you a lot of heartache. We all, as Christ followers, we all have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? My point is that we all have a direct line to God. You don't have to go through a priest or go to a certain place in order to talk to God, hear from God. And so you have a direct line to God through the Holy Spirit. So, so what do we do? When believers disagree, in the family, in the church, out in the community, 
What do we do when believers, equally filled with the Holy Spirit, equally with a, a direct line to God, disagree? When they disagree about what the Bible says, when they disagree about which direction to go, what God is saying in this moment, what do we do when believers disagree? The answer is always the same. It's not different for different groups. It's not different for different circumstances or different people. It's always the same. When believers disagree, they are to submit to authority as outlined in the Bible. No matter where you are, when believers disagree, they are to submit to authority as outlined in the Bible. So if it's within the church, you submit to church leaders, the church leaders that God has in his wisdom and sovereignty placed in authority over you. If you're in the home, you submit to the authority. If you disagree in the home, you submit to the authority given to the head of household, the father, the husband. When kids disagree with their mom, they are to submit to the authority God has given moms. Submission isn't easy agreement. Submission is moving forward together in unity despite disagreement. Why? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you submit to church leaders? Why wouldn't you submit to church community? Why wouldn't you submit to scripture or to Christ? There's only one reason. And it's self-idolatry. You would never say this, but you are your own God. Another way to say that is pride. Pride is the basis for the first sin in Genesis chapter 3. And it's the basis for every sin since. And so the answer is the opposite of pride, which is humility. Will you be humble enough? Will you be humble enough to accept Biblical authority in your life. Listen, we all start out as rebels. Rebellious two-year-olds refusing to obey the people God has put into our lives to love and guide us. All my kids have been that way. But you and I, we're not two years old anymore. It's time we start acting like it. It's time we accept biblical authority for what it is, the grace of God in our lives. Listen, unbridled autonomy is not freedom, it's prison. You, left to your own devices, will not flourish. You will fail. I don't care what Facebook says. You are not enough. Alone, you are not enough. You need the church community. We need each other. We as human beings, we are born sinful, headed towards destruction. We need guardrails. We need bumpers. We need guidance and discipline. We need authority. Think of it this way. If done correctly, as God has outlined... Children will be born into a loving family with a mom and a dad who are committed to each other for life. Children, they need guidance, discipline, love, teaching. Otherwise, they'll spend all of their time eating dirt and sticking crayons in the electrical outlet and running towards traffic. They won't survive. The church family is very similar. 
If done correctly, as outlined in the Bible, you will be born again into a church family that loves you. And you will need the perspectives of others. You need discipline. You need guardrails. You need teaching. You need correction. You need authority. Otherwise, all of us, each of us, will run towards things that will only hurt us in the end. Gossip, greed, self-centeredness, pride, hell. Beloved, I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying it's difficult. I'm saying it's awkward. I'm saying it's uncomfortable. But your comfort zone is not God's plan for your life. He has so much more for you. Wherever you're joining us from, in your living room or at your dining room table or looking at your phone or your tablet, I want to invite you to pray with us. Find a quiet place as much as you can. Bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your word that is timely and timeless, never changes and it always changes us. God, I just feel like as I've prayed for this message and this moment, God, that there's really only one response, if there is a response. And that is to confess of self-centeredness and pride. This do-it-yourself mentality, this consumeristic individualism that has our, our own wants and our own comfort and our own choice at the center of the universe. So I just ask, God, that you would help us to feel your conviction and respond in repentance, that we would, com that we would confess and then move in a different direction. As we stay in this quiet moment, wherever you are, there's really just two groups of people that I'm talking to. Maybe you're a Christ follower, but if you're honest, you're still struggling with rebellion. You're still struggling with this pride. And anytime somebody tries to exercise some authority and help you in some way, you kind of get, you bristle up and you, you don't like that. And so you're feeling convicted because you've let self-centeredness and pride kind of rule the day. And you're missing out. It's not just about conviction about what you're doing, but it's conviction about what you're missing out on. You're missing out on God's grace in your life, the brotherhood of the saints, the authority that God has given you like parents to help you, to, to help you take your next step towards him, to help you grow closer to Christ. And so if that's you, just confess to say, God, I, I want to be different. I love you. You know I'm yours, but I want to be different. I want to accept the biblical parameters of authority. I, I want to accept biblical authority in my life. Starting with you, Jesus, but including the scriptures and the church community and church leaders that you've placed over me. Help me do that. And maybe for you, the, the act of repentance is, is reaching out to somebody in your sphere of, of, of church life or church community, that you need to say, hey, listen, I've, I've let pride get in the way. And I, I want to tell you that, that I'm getting past that, that God's helping me understand that authority is a good thing and I welcome that in my life. Maybe that's your next step.
The other group of people, as we continue in a, kind of a quiet moment here, the other group of people, maybe you've never submitted your life over to Christ's authority, ever. You've known Christ from a distance, you know about him, you, you've kind of done the whole like, yeah, I, you know, I went to church when I was a kid, I'm a Jesus follower, but you, your will on a daily basis in your life, your will is not submitted to his will. You have yet to accept his authority in your life. You've accepted the good news of like, okay, he saved me, but you've never surrendered to him. Do that right now. Don't close out this broadcast, close out this webpage without praying to God and saying, God, I need you. I want to submit to you. I want to surrender to your authority in my life. You take control. You take the wheel. I don't, I don't want to run this thing anymore. I'm running it into it. I'm running it into the ground. I want you, not destruction, not hell, not the bad things I would run to that would hurt me, but I want you, Jesus. You take control and just give him your life. From this day forward, let him lead you and be the Lord of your life. Jesus, I ask that you would solidify what's been said today. Whatever is of me would be forgotten, but whatever is of you in your scriptures, God would be remembered and would haunt us. And would like good seed find good soil in the hearts of many that are listening. And would take root and bear fruit. Even today that it would bear fruit. Change us, Lord. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today online. We really appreciate it. If you're not in a life group yet, you can get into a life group even in the midst of this COVID-19 stuff. We're meeting up with Zoom and other things. And so all you have to do is let the person who's moderating in the comments or, or somebody else that you know from Great Oaks know that, that you want to be in a life group and we will get you plugged in as soon as possible. When we're together, I always challenge you in a certain way. I say, don't leave here dismissed, but leave here sent. And so let me say it this way to get today. Don't just close out the browser and forget about this whole thing. But close your laptop or your iPad, turn it off, stand up from where you're at, and go be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. Be sent.